your Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Let's pray before we uh, dig into God's word today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this time. Lord, I, I thank you for your word, which has been a lamp to my feet, a light to my path, a comfort to my weary and heavy soul in these days. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts now, God, that you would fill our hearts with your spirit in this time. And that, Jesus, we would see you in all of your glory in these words that we're about to read. That we would see you in your glory and we would feel in the depths of our souls, God, your love and your peace and your comfort. To be thrilled within our souls, knowing, Lord, that you are the resurrection and the life. You are God. So God, be with us in this time. Lord Jesus, may your name be glorified and magnified in this time. Do a great work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The passage before us today is John chapter 11. And we saw last time that this passage is about love. It's about love in the face of suffering and death. For the glory of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. It's about love. It's about suffering. It's about death and the glory of God. That is what this text is about love, the deep, profound, mysterious love of God lets Lazarus suffer and die because, because his suffering and death will help them and us to see the glory of God and the glory of Jesus, his son. We see that in John 11, verse 4. We talked about that a lot last time. We saw that Jesus receives a message from Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, that his dear and deeply loved friend, Lazarus, is sick. And we know from verses 1 through 6 that Jesus deeply loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And we saw that because of that love, because of that love, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Unbelievable. And he told his disciples that he did so, verse 14, that they may believe. So let me summarize this now first 14 or so verses from last time. God allows suffering and death in our lives to show his glory and bring us to faith and strengthen our faith, our belief 
in him. God allows suffering and death in our lives to show his glory, to bring us to faith and strengthen our faith, our belief in him. If you missed last week's message from the first six verses, please go to our website and watch it. There is great comfort in this passage for many of us who are suffering and have faced death of friends and family that we love dearly. God has given us this, his word, his precious word to give us comfort and peace. Now, the central thing for us to see in John 11 and here today is, is Jesus. Jesus Christ made known as the resurrection and the life. Resurrection can only be displayed where death has come in. And what is so much emphasized here is the desolation which brings death and our utter helplessness in the presence of it. Now, we left a few things out last time, namely the dialogue between Jesus and his disciples when he tells them that they must go to Lazarus, verses 7 through 15. When Jesus knows that Lazarus has died, he then decides to go to him. The disciples aren't really thrilled about this because they were nearly killed the last time they were in Jerusalem. And Bethany, the city where Lazarus lived, was just a couple miles from Jerusalem. So going back to that area would be a death sentence in the minds of the disciples. They're pretty worried about this, but Jesus is not worried. Verse 9, he tells them, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus is telling them, look, guys, I still got work to do. I still got work to do. And as long as he was still accomplishing the father's will, he is the light of the world. And will see his work through. Jesus is not worried about going back to Jerusalem. There's no need to worry or be anxious about it. So Thomas, verse 16, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now Thomas makes a brave statement. He's known as doubting Thomas, but here he shows great faith and courage. Maybe we should call him brave doubting Thomas. <laughs> Let us go and we'll die with him. So here we go, guys. Here we go. Let's do this. You can imagine the scene. Jesus is like, let's go. We're going to go to Lazarus now. Like, All right, let's do this. We're going to go and die with Jesus. Here we go. And just feel it, you know. Like, here we go. Wow. Can you feel the gravity of that? It's amazing. So Lazarus is dead. Then Thomas speaks of the disciples going to die with Jesus. Then Mary and Martha both come to Jesus. We're going to see that in just a moment. And when they come, they are lamenting and weeping and wailing. And all they can think about is death. And the Jews surround them also weeping and mourning over the death of Lazarus. The scene here is just horrible. It's a scene of weeping and fixated on only death. 
It's a very somber and heavy scene as a background for Jesus's greatest sign and greatest miracle. And it's a reminder that we are all utterly helpless in the face and presence of death. We are utterly helpless in death, and Jesus is completely victorious over death. He is the resurrection and the life. He is victorious over death. Jesus knows this, and he uses this backdrop to show us what we read in John chapter 1, if you remember that. And this is absolutely fundamental to the main purpose of this gospel and the whole Bible. In John chapter 1, verse 14 through 16, John writes, The Word, the eternal Son of God, became flesh. He became human, and he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Then in verse 16, he relates this demonstration of that divine glory to us. Verse 16, chapter 1, verse 16 says, And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. So the pattern is this, brothers and sisters. Jesus reveals his divine glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. And we behold it. We see it. And from its fullness, we receive grace. We receive grace through the glory of God being demonstrated in this world. We receive his grace. That is the way we are saved and receive all the promises of eternal life. So this whole gospel is built around revelations of the glory of God in Jesus. And what we saw last time, last week, is this new emphasis that this is the way Jesus loves us. He does not mainly love us in this life by sparing us suffering and death. He mainly loves us by showing us and giving us himself and his glory. God loves us mainly by giving us himself and all that he is for us in Jesus. Jesus loves us mainly by giving us himself and all that God is for us in him. And so knowing that, brothers and sisters, I, I don't want you to measure the love of God for you by how much health and wealth and comfort he brings to your life. If that were the measure of God's love for us, our health, wealth, and comfort, then God utterly hated the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Think about that. Read the book of Acts. Read his letters. The immense suffering and everything Paul went through. So if it's all about health, wealth, and prosperity, that's how God shows his love for us, then he hated the Apostle Paul. So it's not about that. Measure God's love for you by how much of himself he shows you. How much of himself he gives you to know and enjoy. Because he loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha, 
he stayed two days longer where he was and let them walk through the valley of the shadow of death and then went and showed them and everyone else his glory. Now let's go with him now. Chapter 11, verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had, been, had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. Let's pause there for just a moment. What happens now when Jesus arrives is that three different people confront him. Each makes statements that confront or question his love, his power, his motives. You can almost sense the spirit of the questioning. Why did you delay, Jesus? Why didn't you come? Could not he have come and saved Lazarus? Surely he could have come and saved him, right? There's an air of suspicion. There's an air of doubt. This repeated and uniform suspicion, it really shakes Jesus even visibly to the point where he even weeps. We're going to see that in just a moment. Martha doesn't wait for Jesus to come to her. She goes to him. She shares with him the grief of her heart. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's what Mary and Martha had been thinking for days as they watched their brother suffer and ultimately die. There's a strange mingling of the natural and of the spiritual in what she says. A mixing of faith and unbelief in her statement. She had confidence in Jesus, didn't she? Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. You would have saved him for sure. Yes, she limits his power. But now that he's dead, it's too late. She doesn't fully understand. She doesn't know there's this mixing of faith and unbelief in here. She just doesn't know fully. She believed that her brother would not have died no matter how sick he was if Jesus had just been there. Yet it seems like the thought never crosses her or Mary's mind that Jesus can raise Lazarus from the dead. It's almost as if that was just too far out of reach. It reminds me of that other statement. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. 
It's an appropriate and familiar statement for this scene. I tell you, I feel this way often. Oh, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I trust you, God, but I'm having trouble right now. You know, if we're honest, that's, that's what's going on in our hearts, if we're honest. Lord, I believe, but man, I, I don't know. That's the scene here. Now to Martha, he responds with profound truth about himself. Martha starts talking to him about the truths of the word of God. He responds to Martha where she is with profound truth about himself. Martha says in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She questions, but she hasn't given up on him. Verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus answers, verse 23, your brother will rise again. Verse 24, Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. What a, what a great theologically correct answer. I know Jesus, there's a resurrection and he will rise again on the last day. That is a biblically correct answer, Martha. And I love what Jesus says to her. Verse 25. I am the resurrection, Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this. So here Jesus reveals his glory with words, with the truth. He says, you believe that there is a great and glorious day of resurrection coming at the end of the age when all believers will be raised bodily from the grave. You are right, Martha. And here's the mystery, Martha. I am the arrival of that day. Jesus is telling her, you thought that day would come with Messiah. I am the Messiah. It has come, Martha. It's standing right here in front of you. And further, he's saying this. Let me be more specific, Martha. I am exactly what Lazarus needs and what you need. He is dead and you are alive. So listen, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he lives. Verse 25. That's for Lazarus. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Verse 26. That's for you, Martha. I will rescue Lazarus, body and soul, from the grave. And when I do, when I do it, doesn't matter. And you, you live and believe in me. And you will never die. There will never be one millisecond of your life when you are out of saving fellowship with me, Jesus. That's for those of us who live. You know what this means, Martha? It means I love you, Martha. I love your brother. I will not abandon his soul to the pit or let his flesh be destroyed. I will raise him. 
I will keep you in everlasting fellowship with me. I'm telling you this. I'm revealing my power and my glory to you because I love you. Jesus loves you and me like that too. Martha reminds me of the woman at the well who didn't really understand the nearness of God and his benefit to her. You remember that from John chapter four. In each case, kind of half despondingly, they put the benefit of Messiah and his power into the future. To the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus said, an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And you remember what she replied. I know that Messiah will come, which is called Christ. And when he comes, he will reveal to us all things, she said. Another theologically correct answer. Very good. To Martha, Jesus has just said, your brother will rise again, Martha. It's glorious. What did she say? I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day, sometime out there, sometime in the distant future. It seems far off. It's like a vague image way out on the horizon. I can see it, but I can't see it clearly. It's, but I know it's there and I know it's coming and I'm looking for it. Each of them had just this vague idea of a future and final good. But Jesus, Jesus is speaking of a present blessing and a presence that they just didn't fully understand in that moment. And I don't know about you, but for me, it's, it's like this. You know, it's often easier for us to believe in things that are far off into the future than it is for us to find comfort and strength for the present sufferings we experience. That's what these ladies were going through. It takes less faith to believe in that future day when we shall receive glorified bodies than it does for us to rest in our souls right now in the assurance that they who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. And the central message of all of this is found in verse 25. And I'm going to say it again and again in this message, because I want you to remember this one thing from this message today. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Underline that in your Bibles. Put circles around it. Yeah, it's good to write in your Bible. Whoever told you it's not good to write in your Bible, don't, don't listen to that. Write in there. Put stars next to this. Put arrows pointing to it so that when you're flipping the pages, you see that and you're drawn to it. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this sitting here today? Do you believe it? And it's like what Jesus told the woman at the well when she had said that Messiah is coming in the future. 
Remember what he answered her? I am that speaks to you. I am. And so now he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Oh, how vitally important this is for our souls today in this moment. It's not simply that he corrected the vision of these women by turning them from the distant future to the immediate present, but that he is fixing their eyes on himself. They're gazing off into the future on the horizon and he's turning their eyes to Jesus himself, who is in their presence. They stood face to face with him. They could see him breathe. We have it even better because the Spirit of God indwells us who trust in the Lord Jesus. He is not simply standing outside. Outside, the Spirit of God is within our hearts. It dwells within our souls. For those of us who believe, Jesus is in my heart. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. Sometimes we often say, oh, it would be so good to see Jesus face to face. That would be amazing. Then I would have stronger faith and I would believe. He is indwelling you. That's even closer. Think about that. The presence of Almighty God within your heart and soul. It's even better. We have it even better. So it is not future events, but the person of Jesus ever present with us that we need most to be occupied with. Strength, blessing, comfort are given just so far as we are taken up with Christ himself. I am the resurrection and the life, he says. See how Jesus proceeds to instruct and elevate her mind, how graciously he bears with her passing fretfulness, how tenderly he touches the still open wounds of her heart, how he leads her from grieving over her brother to believe yet more fully in her Savior, how he raises her from dwelling on Lazarus' death to look to him who is the Lord of life, how he diverts her from thinking only of a remote and general resurrection to trust in him who is right before her eyes, the resurrection and the life. That is our Savior. That's our Jesus, who we worship. Look at verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, 
but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, he saw her wailing, and the Jews who had come with her also wailing and weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, oh, see how he loved him. Some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Now, this is a very emotional chapter. Jesus in verse 14, we saw, was glad and even rejoicing was the word in the Greek that he wasn't there when Lazarus died so that God would be glorified and those who see God's glory would believe. Hmm. And here he is. Mary is at his feet, weeping and wailing. The Jews surrounding them. Weeping and wailing, Jesus is agitated in his spirit, deeply moved in his spirit, it says. Weeping, Jesus is weeping. You don't see that very often in the scriptures. There's a heavy and strong emotional feeling in these verses. I want us to feel the gravity of this today. At the end of verse 32, Mary says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And as she said this, she's weeping, and those who are with her are weeping. Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come also weeping. So now all this questioning, where were you when we needed you, Jesus? It's not just in words, it's in their sobs. Where were you, Jesus? Where were you? Now, it's interesting here how he met Martha and responded to her right where she was. And he does the same for Mary. Jesus' response this time is not with words, but with strong, strong emotion. We can see it in verses 33 and 34. When they start to take him to the grave, verse 34, he weeps, verse 35. He responds to Mary with emotion, heart moved. Now, most preachers that I've heard on this text seem to read into the text whatever emotions they think are appropriate in the presence of grief. I'm not sure exactly what Jesus' emotions were here or what he was responding to besides weeping there are two words at the end of verse 33 that describe his response. He was deeply moved, is, is noted, in his spirit, and greatly troubled. Those are two different words in the Greek. 
The first word deeply moved is used again in verse 38 and three times outside this gospel. It's never a word of compassion. Now, this is what I find interesting because I read this on the surface and I think, wow, look how sad Jesus is. He's so sad. He's overcome with grief and sadness because of everything that's happening. But the words in the Greek don't, don't tell us that. They don't tell us that. The words for deeply moved, the word deeply moved in the Greek, it's never a word of compassion, but it's a word of rebuke or warning. The other word, greatly troubled, it signifies being shaken or agitated or stirred up. It's, it's the same word used for the waters at the pool of Bethesda being stirred up in John chapter 5, verse 7. It's the word Jesus will use again in chapter 14, verse 1, when he says, let not your hearts be troubled. It's not a positive emotion. Jesus was shaken, and he was upset, and he was disturbed. He was agitated. I'm not going to be dogmatic about this, but I don't think these emotions of Jesus are empathy and tenderness. I, I think Jesus is disturbed at the way his motives are being questioned with emotional forcefulness. Mary had said, Lord, if you hadn't been here, my brother would not have died. Something about this was deeply disturbing to Jesus. And when he wept, verse 35, I suspect his emotions were very deep and very complex, not, not just simple. His strong emotion is going to rise again in Jesus. It happens again in response to the third instance of people questioning his motives and power. Verse 37, some looked at his weeping and said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Surely he could have. And he didn't. So they question and they're suspicious of his motives and his power. And now, now is the time Jesus is going to act. But before he acts... There is this emotion again, this strong word for feeling rebuke or warning in verse 38. And this time it is connected even more explicitly with the suspicion and skepticism of the crowds. They've just questioned his love and power. And John writes then, literally, therefore, deeply disturbed again, <laughs> verse 38, Jesus came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it, verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. 
when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out and his hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. How cool is that? <laughs> That's amazing. They roll that stone back. Come out of there, Lazarus. Woo. Can you even imagine that scene? They're at first like, oh man, he's, oh, don't open that. Oh, don't do it. Lazarus, come out. Here he comes. And he's all still bound up and stuff, like a mummy looking. Unbind him and let him go. Wow. So now, finally, it's, it's time not merely for profound truth in response to Martha or strong emotion in response to Mary and the crowds. It's time for powerful action. Take away the stone. And, and Martha still doesn't get it because she resists. Did you notice that? notice that? Martha still doesn't understand at all. She has She just doesn't. She says, oh, no, please, Lord, not. No, it's been four days. There's going to be a smell. You know, it's like, no, don't, please don't do it. And now finally, in response, Jesus makes the connection, what he is doing and what he had said back in verse four. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Just like he said when they asked him about the blind man in the prior chapter, who sinned that this man was born blind? No one sinned. All those years of blindness was so that the works of God be seen in him. No one sinned that Lazarus died. Lazarus died so that the works of God and the glory of God would be seen in him. When you suffer grief and pain and heartbreak, it might not be because you sinned. It probably isn't. Now, sometimes we do, and we deserve that. But when suffering comes into our lives, it's so the glory of God can be seen in our lives. He's trying to show us his glory. And I know that is hard. That is a hard teaching for me to understand. I don't fully understand it. I don't know that I will ever fully understand it, quite honestly. When suffering comes into my life, my first response is not, Oh, thank you, Jesus. Show me your glory. That's what I want it to be. But usually I spend a lot of time trying to figure it out and trying to cover it and rationalize it and all these things. And then after I'm broken by it, I cry out to God, help me, God, show me your glory in this. But I travail for days and weeks and months, sometimes longer, trying to get out of that suffering. Jesus prays to the Father. I thank you that you have heard me. 
so we reach this point of thrilling and breathless interest. The stone has been removed from the tomb. Jesus stands before the open grave. The crowds stand around waiting anxiously to see what's going to happen next. Nothing appears from the tomb. There's no sign of life at present, but while all are looking and listening, Jesus prays to the Father for all to see and hear so that when they see the power and the glory of God, they may believe. These things are written that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that by believing you have life in his name, abundant and eternal life. This is the glory of Jesus. Jesus raised Lazarus because he is the resurrection. Jesus is the arrival in history of God's final glorious renovation of all things, including our broken down suffering bodies. Brothers and sisters, you will be raised from the dead and shine like the sun in the kingdom of your father. Lazarus is a preview of your resurrection. Jesus is coming back to this earth in power and great glory. And this event, this story, this sermon is a window into that glory. Therefore, God is saying to you and to me right now, I love you. My love for you is not sparing you suffering and death. It is the gift of myself, my glory. Do you see me? Do you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus for who he really is? Come to me, says Jesus. Rest in my love. I have much more to show you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound hope. Let's pray. God, help us, Lord. Help us to rejoice in our sufferings, Father, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because your love, God, has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Help us to feel this, Lord, and rest in you today. Pray in Jesus' name.